Hello and welcome to our 100 Steps to Drag, the podcast where I sit with your favorite drag artists and ask them how did they become this amazing drag figures that they are today. I'm your hostess, Natasha Hundreds, and y'all, my guest today is truly amazing. I love her work. She is gorgeous. She is goofy. She's a girl buzz. Welcome, Siri. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Natasha. You're all, you're all too kind. I just didn't even know what to say I, I, um, I want to thank my um my mother i want to thank my breastplate <laughs> the academy for nominations i don't want to thank the academy i want to uh, thank will smith for making her story yes yes uh, <laughs> iconic drag diva <laughs> camp that was truly the definition of camp it was like, good. It was. I, I think that was camp for straight people. Like my coworkers would not stop talking about that for like weeks. And I'm like, yeah. y'all, just let it go. <laughs> Will Smith and Ann Coulter, bad straight camp. The, basically, basically. And we know everything about camp. I've been I went camping recently. Really? How was that? Where'd you go? I so I was I was hired to do drag clown improv psychedelic shit at um can I cuss? Can I cuss? Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh well fuck. Um <laughs> <laughs> in that case. Uh I went to Electric Forest. Have you heard of Electric Forest? No. What is so it? It's, it's a music festival in the woods in um Michigan. And they like have it's like I'd never been before. I'd never even really heard of it, but they have these woods, like the forest, and they light it up uh with like all these like kinetic sculptures and like trippy lights they have different sound stages like inside and outside of the forest and I was hired at this little chapel called the psychedelic chapel where they put on like weird performances um anyway my tent was right behind like I was in the artist section um which side note if you go to festivals try to get hired as an artist there like try to get hired as like an immersive artist because I felt so bad for everybody who was like in the general admission universe um, beca- because they didn't get to hang out with cool art. Like, I mean, I guess they did get to hang out with cool artists, but like the artist hunt was just so fucking cool. Like, like we were like up at like three in the morning having discussion about like, ev- like everyone. That Life. Was, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like no general admission sounds terrible for anything. Um, I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I would do that. I'm not much of a yeah, campy kind of girl. <laughs> anyway, the only thing I wanted to say was that my tent was right behind the, um, one of the main sound stages. So I'm like having gone to sleep at five in the morning, like still asleep at noon and the music starts. Um, and I learned to sleep through it. This is a really funny and engaging anecdote. Honestly, <laughs> and I feel like that's a perfect place to like do shrooms or something crazy. I'm like, if I would go something like that, I'd definitely be on substances. But let's take it back a little bit. Let's talk about drag what was your like your first memory of drag of seeing drag when I was like 12 or 13 I was camping oh my god camping that's the theme of the day the, the queen of camp <laughs> um so I was camping at cancer run like this 24-hour cancer run and they had these men in dresses you know I don't think they were like professional drag queens they might have just been like gay dudes who like yeah dressing up dressed up in drag for a for like charity for like a cause but I think it was their thing and they were just so much fun like it was like I don't know five in the morning everyone's supposed to stay up I'm so bored I'm in Leesburg Virginia like the worst place to ever be and these fucking dudes in these wigs and these heels running around the track 
were so much fun and they were so like cool and accepting of me and like we just like fucking vibed and hit it off and I was like vibe vibe that's the moment do you think that like inspired you to do drag afterwards or that you I, like thought about it when you saw them in wigs having fun yeah so I was like a, a like I was an emo boy at the time who like identified as bisexual mm-hmm. that was a lie on mm-hmm. my part <laughs> like, um, we, we all know how that turned out <laughs> um but yeah I went back to my partner who was a girl at the time and I was like can bisexual people do drag and they obviously are so, so supportive they're like literally my best friend to this day. They were like, yeah, of course, bisexual people can do drag. You can do anything you want to. And then I saw the first episode of Drag Race soon after that, because I used to watch Logo Online. I would like sneak into the living room in the middle of the night and watch Logo Online. Do you remember Logo Online when it was Logo Online? That was oh, that was so hard to get around. I lived yeah. in Mexico at the time, so we had oh, like shit. nothing. I yeah. think I, I, I got into like Drag Race when it was on VH1. Like on season two, when it aired on VH1, I was like, what is this? Yeah. Was it season two aired on VH1? I mean, at least in in the VH1 that I had access to, it was there. And that's where I saw like Raven and Tyra. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Anyway, I saw the first episode of the first season on Logo. And I was like, I started preparing for Drag Race that day. Like me. This is what I want to do. Yeah. They did drag on a dime, right? And I was yeah. like immediately like, okay, what is in my room that I can like turn into an outfit? Oh my god, did you actually do an outfit from like things in your room? I did. Oh my god, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> We've oh. all been there. We've all tried to like, you know, put something together with stuff in a room and be oh like, my. oh, I'm living the moment. I remember when I was in college, um, I lived with like my roommate and we bought this like cheap ass wigs from Amazon and we would have like lip sync battles, like in half drag, like a shirt and like maybe just lipstick on. We were feeling it. We were That's just feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, I took a scarf and wrapped it around like here so it made like a bra and then wrapped it around my back and then I had this blue chapstick (laughs) I had this blue chapstick that I was like if I rub it on my lips enough the blue hue will come out and I'll have blue lips so I just applied this blue chapstick over and over and over until I had blue lips I probably had like some ratty Halloween wig from when I was like oh my god I was Chris Crocker for Halloween for one year um I love the choice I had that way. <laughs> yeah I mean Chris Cocker the the original trans icon <laughs> literally like they came out as trans just recently right because I I, Did she? I think so but Ms. Crocker whatever her first name is I forget um Ms. Crocker um doing um doing bitch please when she was like bitch please do you remember this video yes Ugh. they um, broke literally broke the internet <laughs> and then um Jeffree Star um, and then there were a bunch of other like trans-ish boys in makeup, androgynous MySpace scene dolls, which was like my original transition. It's so weird how like the transition and the drag are different things and are also the same thing. I don't know. We can get into that, but yeah, no, they're kind of like correlated in a way. I had conversations with the people and they for the most part, say like, you know, drag comes first and it's like a way of exploring your gender and then kind of like seeing what it's your true identity, who you truly are. I feel like for me, it was this like opposite path where like my transness and my drag were so separate. Like drag was this, because I come from theater. So Mm -hmm. I I thought of drag as like character work 
like my original drag, like the person who I was like so into was Jinx Monsoon because she was like this character, right? So I was like, this is like other person that I can create and I can fall into and the trans thing. Cause I came out when I was 14 and I like went to school in pigtails and makeup at 14. It was a moment. And that was like the reality, right? But recently, especially in the last year, I realized that she is me. Like that Siri is this like, like we all say, like this confident, more beautiful, more sexy, more funny, more free version of myself, more unfiltered, more authentic, like version of myself that like I can take what I learned from her and the positive aspects of her anywhere I go as Emily. So yeah, a gag. I love that because yeah, drag is really empowering, but it's really funny. Like for me, it was like the other way around. When I was in drag, I felt like so shy. I don't know why. It's not anymore. But like when I first started, like I was so shy around the other girls. I don't I don't know. Maybe I was like intimidated yeah. of like what they would do. Somebody told me, like, why are you so shy? Like out of drag, you're like just talkative and you're approachable. And like I feel like you put on like a shield and it's like the other way. I took aspects of, you know, Raul and put him into my drag. It's weird. I have never thought of you as a shy drag queen. It was a different Natasha back then. Yeah. I was very like, you know. I mean, I remember the first time I walked into a dressing room in Cleveland, Ohio. That was my first time performing in drag at a club. And no one said anything to me for like half an hour. And eventually like a couple girls, what was her name? Sasha, Sasha Diamond and Samantha Echo talk to me and like I gradually became friends with almost everybody in that room the drag scene in Ohio and the drag scene in LA are so different in terms of like LA I think can be a lot more friendly and inviting I think because there's less competition or yeah it's like less competition like it's there's more opportunities so people are less likely to be like oh yeah, yeah yeah Like, even though there is still, like, a ton of cattiness, it's really just not that deep in L.A. Like, the shade is not that fucking deep in L.A. Like, people talk shit and people are friends. But there's not, like, severe fucking gay fucking faggotry shade bullshit unless you're, like, a whack person, in which case everybody knows you're whack and people... Nobody books you, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you're in West Hollywood, in which case you get booked. Yeah, regardless. I agree. There's so many opportunities. So people, it's not that deep. I've never heard of, oh my gosh, like it's serious, serious, like beef. Like not really. It's just more like, oh, they're not talking right now or whatever. But there's nothing really like groundbreaking. It's not like the community shade. I guess, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe I like, I haven't been canceled in LA. So like maybe, maybe I'll feel that wrath if some, you know, God forbid something fucking horrible happens. But Um, I trust you. I trust your common sense not to get canceled. (laughs) Let's not get carried away. You never know. Um, (laughs) You're like, (laughs) stop you right there. (laughs) But yeah, no, in in Cleveland, like there were multiple dressing rooms that I would be in where no one would say anything to me. That is wild. Because I feel like that's customary. At least like, you know, when somebody comes in, it's like, hey, good night, good evening. to To that end, the girls that were sweet to me meant so much more to me because it was like, oh, you, like, broke out of this bullshit that, you like, you're not insecure about, like, your performance and what you have to offer because you're, like, down to, like, help a new girl who, like, might take their jobs. Do you stay in touch with them? Oh, my God, not as much as I would like. There's definitely still some people that, you know, that we're friends on social media and we'll, like, like each other's stuff. And 
but I always said that if I went on drag race or if I was in a situation where I was able to go on like a national tour, one of the first places I would want to go to is Cleveland and say, I would say hi to Divinity, Danielle, Sasha, Shari, Rick, Kai, all the people who, who really got me together. I had been a bedroom queen and I had been a clown and I was like stuck in this thing where I'm like, oh, I want to be funny and I want to be weird and I want to be interesting. And I don't like all that pageant shit because I had just watched Drag Race. Like that was my experience. Mm -hmm. But drag was Drag Race. I was like at season five had just come out. So they had a lot of stigma with like pageant girls. Right. And I was like, ew, pageant girls. Like, why would anyone want to do that? It's so boring. It's so heteronormative. Then they were like, they literally like held me down and put pads on me and put a big fucking wig on me and giant jewelry and giant lashes and was like, go look at yourself in the mirror. God damn it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I fucking see why you do it. This, like, is, Ooh, this is not too bad. <laughs> what I like about downtown LA drag is that even though a lot of us aren't pageant girls, we have this respect for pageantry where I would be comfortable saying pageant drag is the hardest type of drag to do. It deserves so much more. I think, you know, now it's getting its comeuppance on Drag Race. No, it truly is hard. It's a lot of commitment, commitment financially, commitment for to rehearse, to travel sometimes to other states on a budget, on a drag queen budget. Come on, like it yeah. is, it is truly a lot. How did you make your way all the way from Virginia to Los Angeles? So I went to college at Oberlin. Uh, Oberlin, Ohio. Um, it's a small liberal arts college. I got a theater degree there. It's a weird place to get a theater degree, but that's what I did. Um, that was how I ended up in the Cleveland scene was because I was doing an internship for my winter term project. And there was this drag pageant system that needed an intern to write a play for them. So I showed up and I was like, I did my interview and I was like, here's what I can do. Like here's samples of my work. And then we got into talking about drag and obviously like when you're a drag queen, when you have the drag bone, it's, you know, like, you know, so much about it. You're like fixated on it. You know, all of this shit. Right. So I kept talking about it and they were like, cool, scrap the play. We're going to put you in a pageant. Oh. And I was like, I'd rather not. And they were like, do you want your winter term credit or not? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, do you want to pass or what? Yeah, it was it was coercive, but I'm glad it happened because, you know, it taught me to wear pads and big hair. And a lot of, you know, what I think about in terms of head to toe, you know, a lot of that came from that pageant girl experience. And those girls really got me together. It's a terrifying scene for like a young suburban trans girl, the Cleveland drag scene. But um, what's also cool about that scene, side tangent, is that a lot of the like it girls, the biggest girls in the scene are trans. Like a lot of the girls who've been around for the last 30 fucking years, the Bianca Del Rios of that scene are all trans girls. So that was cool to see that like they were just seamlessly integrated into this community. And that also shook me to the disparity between what drag race shows and what the real drag world is like. The real drag world all over the United States, at least, is pageant trans girls and there's only these tiny little niches where there's like the jinx monsoons and the sharon needles and the rajas and the ravens you know so then i moved to california i had a friend who lived in la from college so i moved here and i took a year off to like plant my feet you know like i was moving around couch surfing all that but i was doing a, a work study program for an acting class 
at the Lyric Hyperion and my job was to sweep up after the drag show that came before us. Like I would sweep the Lyric Hyperion before my acting class and there was like nails and glitter and I'm just like, <laughs> what's happening? And the person who ran that show was maybe a girl. Oh. It was Green Eggs and Glam. So I talked to Maybe and I got booked for Green Eggs and Glam. That was my first booking ever in LA. I did that. I obviously, you know, got the bug again and wanted to go again. So I did a couple of other things with people that I met there. And you know how it just snowballs. You go out, you're nice to people backstage, you're cool. You turn it out and then people are like, oh, cool. I like her. Like, she's nice. I want to book her. So I started doing exposure and that was where he, like where I really like cut my teeth was exposure drag in Highland Park. Have you have you done exposure? Oh yeah, I love exposure. It's such a nice place because people really go there to just watch the show. Unlike other places where you're like performing and people just is there for the cheap drinks or the heavy pours. No, people is there to like sit down and watch the show. I love that. Yeah, I think what was cool about exposure is it was such a variety of performances and it was like not people who had huge names in a city necessarily it was a mix of people who were like nobody's like me at the time and people who had big names in the city but it was always like excellent and it was always cool and it, they always had a theme so I was very heavily inspired by them and I bothered Obi every fucking month to book me and then the pandemic hit and then I started my own drag show fake smart over the pandemic and that has snowballed into a show that I have to this day Yes, I had no clue Fix Smart started over the pandemic. I know that it's a huge deal right now, but I wanted to ask you how it started. So girl, I had no clue it started virtual. Yeah, I was sad about spending my birthday in quarantine. My birthday is in April. So it was like the beginning of the pandemic and I booked Johnny Gentleman, um, Christina Clown, Pinche, and a couple of other people for the first ever Fake Smart. And it was called Fake Smart because my house name is artificial intelligence. So artificial, fake, intelligence, smart. I think it's such a good name, fake smart. Like, it's catchy, I love it. It's like weird and it's on brand for me. Yeah, so we started doing it every month over the pandemic or every other month. And then I brought it to Redline and Oliver gave it the green light and we've been doing it every month ever since. I love it. I haven't gotten to see it yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> But I do want to see it. I We were just talking about before we started recording about how overwhelmed we feel. And it's just so many things wow. that we want to do. And I'm like, oh, I yeah. just have so many hours and so much willpower. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a woman with limited wind. I know we're with Thursdays, which is kind of a weird night to have a drag show. We're the last Thursday of every month out run by downtown Los Angeles. Last month was so good. It was like, the thing that I love about Fake Smart is that people bring a hundred percent. I don't know why. I think it's maybe me. They want to match your energy. Yeah. If I can uh, uh, my own horn for a second. <laughs> I think I curate a really good cast of people. Like I think I bring a group of people together. That's like one of my best skills is seeing like all these different skills and all these different vibes and seeing who maybe doesn't know each other, bringing some people in from outside of the scene, some people who aren't necessarily drag acts, um, maybe some music acts, some clown acts, some like other variety shit. And I'm like, who should meet each other? Who should be in the same room together? Like, like I need one spooky queen. I need one dancing queen. I need two drag kings, et cetera. 
but go to fake smart the last and or fourth thursday <laughs> it's all on my instagram siri underscore eh yes <laughs> we're still a pr queen <laughs> <laughs> she's branding right as as she should as she should let's talk about the house of ai how did that came about you know who are you how did it started who are your children let's talk about Girl, them. you're asking all the good questions so i ran the gay straight alliance in high school and there was this little green-haired queerdo an industrial piercing sitting in the front row who I didn't know you know in high school I was one of the only visibly queer people whatever that means I was like oh my god there's this visible queer person um I need to get to know them their name is Kiwi that's not their real name but their name is Kiwi and we just like struck up a relationship they're like one year younger than me so I think if I can speak for them it's not that I'm like gay mom or anything like that but like I kind of felt that way like drove them around everywhere. We like hung out and did a bunch of gay shit together. I put them in drag for the first time. She's like one of those, like what I call street performing gays. She's just so effervescent and so fearless. I'm so jealous of Queens like that, that it's like, I wish I had, I mean, I, I guess I'm working towards that, but um, some people are just born without the like fear gene or born with the like shove fear deep down gene. Maybe they yeah. are scared, but they don't like that, you know, overpower. They're like, fuck that. Yeah. It's weird that like everyone, everyone experiences fear all the time, but everyone has a different amount to which that stops them. Like everyone has a different mm -hmm. limit of how much they're willing to let fear get in the way. And, you know, I have my limit and I think everyone has it about different things. When I was first starting off drag, I was so, so insecure. I had really bad stage fright. I would literally like have a mental breakdown two weeks in advance before any gig. And now it's just like, yeah, I'm a little nervous, but like I get on fucking, like I do it all the time. So I just get on stage, you know, and do what I need to do. Let's get off topic a little bit because a lot of yeah. people on TikTok ask me about stage fright. Like they are anxious or, you know, performance anxious. And they're like, how do you overcome it? And I personally never had it. I love the spotlight, but like, how did you overcome your stage fright? Yeah, so stage fright a lot of the time is A, coming from trauma there's a phrase when you're hysterical it's historical so like a lot of us have put ourselves out there especially as queer people have put ourselves out there only to be smacked down again you know like I was a theater performer my whole life and I would get on stage and people would literally boo because I was in this place where I was not accepted and where like what I did like just my existence was like fucking people's lives up <laughs> so we evolutionarily want to be accepted by the group. So the thought of being cast out is evolutionary built into us to be terrifying. And that manifests in different ways. One of those ways is stage fright. So the second thing I would say is that you deal with imposter syndrome, right? Like you deal with the idea that you don't belong there, that everybody else is good and you're the one that's shit and everyone's watching you and feeling bad for you and they don't really care about you. What I'll say though is that This was a thing that my therapist and I talked about when I first moved to LA was self-esteemable acts. So you don't gain self-esteem by sitting around and thinking about it and trying to gain self-esteem. You don't get the energy to wash the dishes by sitting around and trying to build up the energy to wash the dishes. You get the energy to wash the dishes by washing one dish. And that gives you the energy to wash a second dish. And that gives you the energy to wash four dishes. Right. So like you build this ironic kind of shitty cycle or catch 22, I guess, where in order to get over your fear, you have to do it. 
And for me, stage fright, I knew that I wanted to be on stage. I knew that every time I was in the audience of any show, play, theater, TV, even watching movies, or especially drag shows, all I could do is sit there and think, here's how I do that. Like, I could, I could do it better. Here's what that bitch should have done. And if I was up there, here's what I would have done. So I knew that I had to get up there and prove it. I knew that I had it in me. When I'm home alone, doing bedroom drag, I know that I'm that bitch, that I am the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race. I just have to do it. So I would force myself to get these gigs. I would have a complete fucking breakdown over it. I would talk to my therapist. I'd talk to my friends. You know, they'd be like, you're not, you're not bad, blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't believe him, wouldn't believe him. And the only way that I got over it was doing it over and over and over and over and failing and sucking. Sometimes, sometimes in my head, failing a lot worse than I probably looked. Sometimes failing a lot worse than it probably felt. Taking risks, performing in shows with people who were my friends, performing in shows with people who were complete strangers, performing in little local things, performing in bigger projects. When I first did Hamburger Mary's Long Beach at the beginning of the pandemic, I went to the show to spec out the space. And I thought, I don't belong here these girls are all better than me. I saw Azalea Montoya. I saw, I think her name is Alicia Love or something like that and Danny Kay. And I thought, these girls are better than me. They're just better than me. I can't do this gig. I was already booked for the gig months in advance. And I had this total breakdown over it. I was like, I can't do this. These girls are better than me. I can't do what they do. And then I did it and I killed it. And I made a lot of money and it was a lot of fun and I got rebooked. But what I learned eventually over especially in this la- in the last couple of years, is that I don't have to be as good as them. I have to be as good as me. I'm not Azalea Montoya. I'm not Danny Kay and I'm not Alicia Love. I'm not anybody else and they're not me. So I have, I'm only in competition with my past self. I'm only in competition with the past self who did let fear get in the way, who didn't take as many risks and who tried to be those other girls Instead of thinking to myself, what is my career path? What is my goal? If I died tomorrow, what would I have wanted to accomplish in my artistic life? So now Hamburger Mary's Long Beach doesn't fucking scare me. It was terrifying. I had a breakdown weeks in advance. I was like on the phone with her crying, being like, I have to cancel this gig. My heart pounding for days. I can't believe I went, I put myself through that because now if you were like, hey, Siri, you've got to get at Hamburger Mary's Long Beach today at noon, I'd get in drag and go do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just practice. My one piece of advice is that if you don't use it, you lose it. So if you get on stage and you want to get on stage and then you like conquer that fear every once in a while, you're going to be out of practice. The next time you do it, you might not be as good as you want to be. You might be a little more shaky and then you're going to feel defeated. And then it's going to take a whole couple months to like get that nerve back up. Just keep doing it. Just take as many fucking gigs as you can, all the free gigs, all the tip spots, agitate, message everybody, people that you don't think will book you. The worst thing they could say is no, or the worst thing they could do is ignore your message. You'll show them in a couple of years who's the real bitch and curate what you do and what your interests are. If you need to take a dance class, take a dance class. If you need to take an acting class, do that. If you want to take singing class, do that. If you want to practice in your room, there's YouTube tutorials, like do what you need to do. But there is no ready. There's no like, okay, now I'm ready to do this. For me, there wasn't. 
there was just doing it. And I got better through experience, not through practicing in my room. Because what happens on stage is going to be completely different than what happens in your room every time. Yes. Oh my God. You just said so many great points. I'm like, yes, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) So many good things because like, first of all, you're totally right. You're not them, right? You're not the other girls that you're seeing on stage. You are a completely different artist. So it's not about being better than them or being like them. It's about what you bring to the stage. And like a lot of people don't realize that if they're booked or if they're getting a gig, it's because they're not being asked to bring what everyone else is bringing. They're being asked to bring what their individual art is like. And it's completely different what everyone else is bringing. So that is a big one. And also I feel like for me and for a lot of people that I've talked to, it's like, we have to be okay, at least when we're starting, that we're not going to be perfect the first time around, just like everything. If you want to start like painting, I don't know, your first painting is not going to be a piece of art. Or if you want to start dancing, your first dance is not going to be like this, you know, super elaborate choreo, right? We all start somewhere. So we have to be okay with that idea of not being perfect. And that is fine because like you said, again, shitting you know making mistakes it's only going to make you better and overcome that fear it's like oh I love that I'm like I could hear you talk for hours (laughs) yeah like I must have bombed 50 times before I had one fucking good number you know what I mean before I had one number that I was really proud of and now I have 50 good numbers in a row and then I'll bomb one because I took a big risk and I'll bomb it or I'll feel like I bombed it but you don't learn as much from doing well as you do from bombing. Period. And I feel like you're right. We are very hard on ourselves. We are our, our worst criti- crit- critics. We are yeah. our own worst critics. English, language barrier. You're doing great <laughs> but, <today. laughs> Thank you. I need to hear that. <laughs> I need validation. <laughs> no, but we are. And uh, sometimes I look at videos of myself and I'm like, what the hell am I doing in this here on this stage? Like, why do people <laughs> bug me still? Yeah. But like, it's, it's truly not that terrible. So we, we have to remind ourselves, at least I have to do it to like be gentle with what I'm putting out there. Yeah. And like life is short, you know, like we are all, everything is going to be dust in 80 fucking years. You, me, this laptop, this room, yes. this exposure drag, the buildings, <laughs> it's all gonna, it's all temporary. It, none of it matters. So you have this limited amount of time to do what you need to do. So take care of yourself as much as you can. Be kind to yourself as much as you can. Like you said, be gentle with yourself, you know, whatever you need to do. But also don't get in your own way. Movies like show us these stars, right? A star is born, Angelina Jolie, like whatever. Like you see these giant career trajectories and you're like, if I'm not that, I am that on the inside. But if no one else sees it, then maybe I'm not that. It's like, girl, it's just fucking drag. It's just fucking movies. It's just fucking garbage. The biggest film stars of the 1930s, no one knows anymore. Like people don't, yeah. I've never seen a Rita Hayworth film. I haven't. No, me neither. So I have no way of judging her talent. You know what Will I mean? you show me a picture of her? I could not recognize her. <laughs> right. <laughs> How does she look like? It's like, it's not that fucking deep. But yeah, like in terms of stage fright, it's really just about doing it over and over and over. And then one day you'll be at this giant gig This was me at Oasis. You'll be at this giant gig. The curtains will be closed. The crowd will be screaming. You'll feel all this anxiety. You'll be like, oh my God, 
I'm freaking out. Like, I'm, I, I hope I don't drop the thing. I hope I don't slip. And then all of a sudden this calm will come over you because you'll realize you'll have had that practice and you'll be like, I do this every week. I do this three times a week instead of, oh my God, I'm going to suck. I can't even think your thoughts will be replaced by the thoughts that you have trained them to be replaced by, which is I'm that girl. I've got this. Just go out there and make them eat it. Period. I love that. Honestly, I also needed to hear that. So thank you, mamas. Yeah, I mean, we, we all did. Like, I, this is advice. I'm trying to get into, like, comedy and stand-up comedy and acting. I feel so much imposter syndrome over it. I feel all this shit. And I still have, I bombed three times in stand-up comedy. And I still have not had the guts to get back on stage. Someone booked me for a thing and I canceled because I was nervous. And you know what? I probably just would have done fine. And even if I had bombed, I would have learned from that experience yeah. and done better the next time. So it's advice we can all take. We all need to be, like you said, gentle with ourselves. When you retrain your thoughts, the more that negative tape starts playing, the more that you say, cut, snip, not dealing with that, and then replace it with, I got this. I'm good enough. I'm proud of you. I'm beautiful. I'm talented. I'm me. And what I bring is different. Let's go back to the house of AI. <laughs> yeah. We took a huge derail. So, okay. So it started with Kiwi. And then who was your next child? Yeah, my little daughter, Kiwi. And then she had a child whose name I forgot. Um, I don't know if Kiwi even does drag anymore. She's like a person in New York doing some shit. Kiwi, if you see this, text me. I miss you. Um, so that was the original House of AI. And then I moved to LA and I met Paige Person. And we started lying. I started this lie at the Boulay Brothers because I had dressed up like Paige when we went to Queen Kong at Precinct. RIP Queen Kong. It was a great show. So I dressed like her for the first time and the Boulay brothers were like, oh, is that your daughter to Paige? And me with my little ego, I was offended by that. So I was like, no, I'm her mother. So we made this like joke that I was Paige's drag mother and Paige was my drag mother. And then we started hanging out. We started having like crafting days and she's a fine artist with a long career in set design, production design. And I have my skills and expertise in theater and in the drag theory world. So we just like combined forces and we, we kind of had that relationship where it's like, I would tell her what I thought she should do. And she would tell me what she thought I should do. And we would reject it. I would be like, that's not for me. That's ridiculous. I will never do that. And it's a hard pass. <laughs> yeah. And then like, we would bother each other into eventually doing it. And then once we do it, it would be the thing. You know what I mean? Like, so for her, she was like, to me, she was like, you need to start contouring. We need to address the cheek. We need to address the jaw. We need to address the nose. We need to start being vulnerable on stage. We need to start, we need to start uh, giving eye contact to the audience. And I was like, no, like, that's not my drag. Like, let me be myself. But then I did it and it was like, she was right. And then with Paige, it was like, I just told her, she was like, she needs to start wearing rhinestones. She needs to start wearing fabric. She needs to start wearing gowns that hit the floor. I was like, why don't your dresses hit the floor? <laughs> she was like, I don't care about any of that heteronormative bullshit. And then she like saw herself in that dress and was like, oh, it's a moment. So I got her into human hair units and all that top 40 music doing top 40 then the pandemic hit and we would do craft days we learned to sew together and we would rhinestone together we would just like hang out and make stuff she taught me how to make something quickly how to be like how to not be a perfectionist about it and not plan it out too much like I watched her like take a pizza box from the pizza that we just ate and in like 30 seconds duct tape it up cut it up duct tape it spray paint it and glitter it and turn it into a witch hat that then I've seen in I mean, it was in a gallery that she was showing at. It's like a fine piece of art that would probably sell for a amount of money. 
And I like watched her make it in 30 seconds. That is wild. She taught me to not do that. So that's, that's my sister, mother, daughter. And then my daughter right now is my good friend, Rory, who goes by Thirsty Alley in drag. I'm a very hands-off drag mother. I'm a very like, you need to get your own gigs. You need to figure it out because I'm tired. And I'll tell you when you're wrong. Like, I'll tell you (laughs) what you're doing that's messy. If you come to me for advice, I'll give it to you. I'm glad to give advice. I'm happy to give advice. But I'm not going to sit you down, put you in drag, get you your first gig, even though I kind of did do all that shit. I'm not going to make you your career. I'm still working on my career. No, I don't have any children yet, but I feel like I would be that mom too. You know, the one that I'm like, okay, baby, I'm here if you need me, but I'm not going to hold your hand. That's all that, because that's how Nomi was with me. You know, like she was always there. She's always there for me, but like, it wasn't like she was holding my hand all the time. You know, like I would always go to her and she would always be there for me, but it's not like it was her responsibility, so to speak. Yeah. You know, I kind of like don't necessarily always think of myself as a drag mother because I think like the history behind it is very like serious you know I could still use a drag mother I've been doing drag for I guess nine years now technically but only three years in LA three years regularly so I wouldn't say I'm like seasoned you know I know what I know and I don't know what I don't and I always have an opinion oh and then Paige has a son Reese's penis um, who's really really good there's Thirsty, Paige, me, Kiwi and Kiwi's daughter whatever her name is your unclaimed grandchild. Yeah, like I'm, <laughs> I'm the granny with dementia. I'm like, <laughs> like, I see you, but it's just the I see you. I'm in the I see you. It's a big family. Are you in a house? I'm in the house of B. Yeah. So Nomi yeah. has a house and it's her and then Joe Lopez, me, uh, Moonshine and Paradisa, and Cam. Joe has a daughter now, but ha- I haven't met her. Is Nomi the mother? Yeah. Yeah, because she's like, she's seasoned. No, she's a mother. She's been doing this, I guess, the longest. And she was the one that brought us all together. Did you ask her to be her drag mom or did she kidnap you? She kind of kidnapped me as a child. (laughs) No, but like, I always wanted that because I feel like she was one of the first queens that I clicked with. Like the first time that I was out in drag was at Executive Suites. And it was for a competition that she was a part of. And I was like, eh, let me see, like, check it out. I wasn't even competing or whatever. Her and Anya Nuts were the first queens that approached me the first without me having to go to them. They were like, oh, who are you? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was so nice. I saw her perform and I was like, oh, sickening. So I don't know, I just started like going to her shows. We would smoke weed afterwards. And then we just like start hanging out. And then one day she asked me and I was like, I mean, I already thought you were my drag mom, but I guess it's official now. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's so sweet. A lot of people have asked to be my drag mom. And a lot of people have been like, I'm your drag mom. And I'm always just like, no, like I haven't really found anybody who is like, A, been in the game long enough and B, is like clicks with my aesthetic enough. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know who it would have to be. If you could choose any queen or king from anywhere that you know, like who would you choose? Like a fantasy be, drug to family be drag to mom. be your mother, parent. Maybe Coco Peru. I would love that. I if would Coco love that. Peru just like dropped out of the sky and was like, you are my drag daughter. I'd be so down. Or like, I don't know. This is a cheesy answer, but Jinx Monsoon. Let's see who else. Nina Flowers. I would totally be down. Crystal Method. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah, and obviously, if Sasha Colby was, you're my drag daughter now, I'd be like, I'm so down. Of course. <laughs> so down. 
anytime we work together, I would like stand next to her and be like, hi, <laughs> don't you want to adopt me? Like I don't dro- I'm dropping like, hints yeah. like, hey, you know, um, you know, your house maybe could use another member, right? Yeah. I don't know. Could you imagine me in the Colby? <laughs> That'd be, be fun. The, I'd be the weird one, but I think it'd be funny. I think it's almost like a compliment because I don't think people see me as someone who needs a drag mom. I don't think you need a drag mom, but you're right. Like we all need someone like even like if we've right. been on the game like we can always continue learning continue nourishing from a relationship like that but it's i don't think you need it. Your own. it is fucking hard it and is it, i mean the advice page has made me such a better drag queen than i than i was before that's why i do kind of consider her my drag mom mother sister daughter I just like won't give her the authority of calling <laughs> her my mother like no that's too much that'll go to your head she has made me such a better drag queen. Like I took her advice and I honed it with my own experience and with my own desires, with my own needs. But like so much of, I think what makes me a marketable drag queen and what made me a more beautiful drag queen and a more draggy drag queen is all shit that Paige was like, you should consider having a silhouette. And I'm like, (laughs) Okay. <laughs> you're like okay you don't have to say it like that yeah <laughs> no but i feel you because you know a lot of people have been like oh like have you considered having a drag daughter and i'm like i want to have a daughter or son that i have a relationship with so i can be honest so i can feel comfortable say, yeah. telling them like honest feedback right because those are things that you will not go to like queen next to you and be like you should consider having a silhouette you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah, like, yeah. so i'm like it for me has to be like that person that you are friends with yeah. So you can have this kind of like true nourishing relationship of feedback. Yeah, no, it's hard because I think both Paige and I are very sensitive. And so we'll say something and then the other person will be all offended by it. But then eventually after some like pushing and nudging and trying it out, anytime Paige says anything, try out anything, I'll do it. Siri, what are your goals with drag? You've done so much. You have your running show every month. You are a superstar what would you like to do next? My goals for this upcoming year are, I'm going to put out, I've been making music, which is not something I ever really cared about in drag because I'm not really a singer. But all of a sudden I started writing all these lyrics and I just like couldn't stop. And I'm like, as an artist who's like, everything is content, everything is content. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I have to start, I have to start making this music. So I started rapping because I can't sing. I know it's a lot to think about. I'm like the trans girl, Lil Dicky. Like I like, it's like smart and I like say it instead of like, I don't have like a persona. I'm just like, this is the thing that I'm saying on this day. Hey, yeah, if it works, it works. Me in the pocket of the beat, as you can tell. So I want to finally record that. I have two songs that I've fully fleshed out and I want to record them and make a music video, record them, release them, and then make a music video. I want to turn fake smart into like a bigger deal. Previously, it was just kind of like a drag show. Now I want it to be the drag show. Like I want people there. I want to pack the bar. And we've like really been able to do that in the last couple months because I've been putting in the work about booking people from outside of the drag community and decorating the space, making it an experience with a theme. October is going to be sexy month. I am going to get on Drag Race one of these days. One of these Um, seasons. I'm working kind of already on my tape. So I'm going to put that in 
I'm a, I know you're not supposed to say it. The like production doesn't want you to say it. And they're not going to see this. Uh, watch them watch it and be like, oh, do you really? <laughs> deleted. Yeah. I mean, I might already, already be banned from Drag Race because my name is Siri. I don't know if that's like a copyrighted thing or not. I'm like, it's just a name, right? I feel like they can okay. work around it. If they had Trixie Mattel on it. Right. So yeah, that would be a good path for me. But also I used to just care about getting on Drag Race. Like my entire drag career was just about getting on Drag Race. And now I care less and less about it because I'm like, if that aligns with what the universe wants for me, then I'm so down. Not that I believe in the universe. If that like is a part of my trajectory, then it's like a part of my trajectory. But ultimately for me, the goal is just to continue to advance my art. I've been writing a lot. So I want to write like a comedy special for Netflix. I want to start acting more in drag. I have a music video that I was featured in as Siri. So I want to keep doing drag stuff on camera. And um, oh yeah, end goals, talk show, medium goals. So I was raised in a cult and it's called the LaRouche movement. And so I'm writing a musical called the LaRouche-sicle, which is going to be like a 45 minute musical theater extravaganza with just me. A one woman show. A one woman show, exactly. And it's going to be like when people are like, oh, you were raised in a cult. All the normal questions happen. What do they believe? What was it like? I'll just answer all those questions. So I've written like two thirds of that um, musical that I'm probably going to do at Redline. I haven't told them that yet, but uh, (laughs) there's that. And then talk show. I think at the end of the day, I think I'd be great for talk. Believe it or not, I can't ask questions. I don't just talk. Um, (laughs) No, I think you'd be great. um, You have such a great personality. You're very bubbly. You're very smart. So honestly, the sky is the limit for you. I would love to see you in like a Tyra show, but drag. Yeah, where's my late night talk show? Like where it's like half drag, half not. And I want to have like variety. I want to bring on different acts and interview like different people. I want to like interview a lot of people in the queer community. I kind of want to talk show that's just about like interviewing trans girls who've been in the entertainment industry. As you can tell, I have a ton of fucking ideas about what's next but really just like one foot in front of the other like tomorrow I'm just gonna I'm doing a photo shoot and the next day I'm just gonna be taking care of myself you know trying to get my shit together for the boom boom room on Friday just trying to make that money that is my main goal every every week trying to make that money (laughs) I know you're gonna get all that I believe in your work and I'm excited to see what's next oh my gosh first of all I'll start by going to the fake smart Period. And then, like, I cannot wait for I this gotta book you for Fixer. You've, you've been on my list. So I have, like, a spreadsheet called Performers I Stand, and you've been on the list of people that I need to book for Fixmart anyway, so. Thank you. Thank you. But I want to go and watch it and support it. Please come through. I think this next one's going to be fucking chaos. I think that is everything. Again, thank you so much for being my guest, and tell everybody where they can find you. Thank you so much for listening to me ramble on and on. <laughs> Yogurt Parfait said, this bird likes to sing. Um, and I do. No, I loved it. I feel like I learned a lot of things and I'm like, okay, I really need to listen to a lot of the things that you said. So I'm like, oh, I love this episode already. I can't wait for it to go live. Yeah, fucking monetize it. Um, get, make royalties off of it. Oh, you know, it'd be really cool as a Siri day calendar where it's like every day, it's like Thursday, the 22nd, be yourself. You know, whatever. Anyway. That would be fun. My boss from my board job gave me a calendar with like white people quotes. And some of them are very cringy. They're like, yeah, happiness tip, you know, smile to someone today. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is the widest of it all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's my life story. Happiness tips. You can find me on Instagram at Siri underscore EH. 
That's Siri underscore eh, because my old Instagram Siri ew got hacked, which is so tragic. And then on TikTok, Siri underscore ew. That's still Siri ew. So Instagram is Siri underscore eh. TikTok is Siri underscore ew. And give her a follow. Trust me, you're not going to regret it. I love your TikTok ASMR series. Why you do that? That's super funny. <laughs> the way I didn't realize that it was a series and that I could capitalize off the word Siri in oh. series. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to 100 Steps to Drag. If you like my podcast, please leave me a review. If you didn't like it, um, you can keep that for yourself. I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.